It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Slammed, a Boston Celtics podcast. I'm Megan Adelini from WEI, joined by Esteban Bustillos of GBH and Justin Turpin, also of WEI. Uh, so we are coming off of a complete beatdown that the Celtics put on the Miami Heat down in Miami. Uh, <laughs> I think we just need to start there for our big topic of the day or really big topic of the week, I should say. What can we take away from this game? Is it too strong to call this a revenge game for what the Heat did to the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals last year? Uh, what do you make of this, guys? Uh, I, so the 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 NBA scheduled this during rivalry week. And I think it's fair to say this is, is this, uh, these are the Celtics biggest rivals. I would say so just given the, the recent history between the two. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can't. I mean, I, I think that they'll always have a, a little thing with golden state because of getting bested by them in the finals two seasons yeah. ago, but that, you know, they're in such different places in their franchises, golden state yeah. and Boston that it, it doesn't really feel they they just have a weird thing with Golden State where it feels like they're trying to take the baton from them. Right. Yeah. I and mean, maybe even Philly. But yeah, this one, I think this was like this is the ideal of what this Celtics team can look like. Not just they can stretch the floor. They can go inside Tatum. Obviously, I think he had some some great shots, but also just getting to the rack. Porzingis uh, before he went down with his his uh, ankle injury scare. This was a, this was what I think the rest of the league was scared of when this team sort of came together. Is like this is what they can do to anybody on a given night. So I think it's kind of cruel that they scheduled this rivalry week and then put Miami in the position that they put them in, which is like it's not so outrageous to play, you know, on the second night of a back to back. But when you stack up what the Celtics were coming off of, which is two days rest. And then going on the road, which is a pretty quick road trip down to Miami. Like, it, I don't want to take away from what was a historically efficient night offensively for the Celtics because that's very important. But I will say it reminded me a little bit of the flip side 
of what we saw with the Celtics when they went out to Milwaukee yeah. right after that Minnesota win. And it's not the same scenario because, again, Miami's at home. Uh, that was like a crazy travel day for the Celtics. And if you remember, uh, they ended up uh, – we came on like right after that game and they ended up pulling a bunch of the starters partway through right. the first half. So it's not the same, but it, it didn't feel to me like a completely fair representation of who these teams are. And a little part of that is also that – and and we can weigh in on whether this is something the Celtics should take away from the Heat or – continue doing what they're doing, which is completely in the opposite direction. I don't think it's a fair representation of who these teams are when they can see each other in the postseason. but also it's partly the heat has decided to yada yada past the regular season for yeah. the most part, at least with their stars. Yeah. I think that's always been though. Like th- this has happened for the past three seasons where there'll be oh, this is like a decent team. And then the playoffs come in and Jimmy Butler turns into somebody else and just starts annihilating. They always ruin a contender's postseason one way or the other, at least one. Um, So I I still, I don't know that I, I still take this team as a serious Eastern Conference Finals contender. I mean, Justin, what you I, I read your article last night for, uh, that you wrote last night on, on, on Odyssey. What, what was sort of your thoughts on on? what this matchup means going forward. I think going forward, like you guys said, it it's not indicative of what they are in the postseason because they just play so much better in the postseason. But the Celtics had answers for everything Miami threw at them. Like that zone last year in the Eastern Conference Finals completely threw the Celtics off. They couldn't get anything going. And it kind of justified the moves that Brad Stevens and ownership made, right? Because Wick Rosebeck said it on the EI airwaves that he spent the whole second half of game seven thinking about making changes against that very Miami Heat team. He brings in Kristaps Porzingis, who just completely bust down that zone. They had no answers for him, and it all started with Porzingis. Just his ability to punish the switches, his ability to take take advantage of mismatches. It's just he gives a dimension to something they haven't had and what they, quite honestly, were lacking last season. I think you're totally right. Um, I, I on that point, Porzingis, he's he is a cheat code for this team, and that's why I, I feel like while we're talking about him, let's just get right to it. There was a moment where I think everybody was like initially like, "Oh my god, no!" <laughs> when you just because the way that we watch the Porzingis injury in real time is you just see him kind of on the ground writhing a little bit and then hobbling over and going directly to the trainer to the locker room and you're and you it was almost like when I saw the replay it it was like oh okay so he falls on somebody else's foot he just basically turns his ankle awkwardly and you're like could have been so much worse for what the reaction was and Porzingis from time to time you know he's got that euro flopper in him so (laughs) he does have that but um, uh, let's just hear really quick. This is uh, Abby Chin from NBC Sports Boston. She was asking him post-game about uh, what he expected that ankle to feel like going forward. We saw you standing up, moving around, smiling. How is it yeah. feeling now? Yeah, it's feeling all right. It's feeling all right. That thing's going to swell up a little bit. Uh, but uh, we'll see how it is tomorrow and, uh, and go from there. Probably a, a day-to-day type situation. On a, I hope so. I hope so. I think tomorrow will be clear. Uh, you know how how it is doing, especially after the flight too and all that. Um, 
But as of right now, I'm feeling pretty good and, and, and staying positive. So first of all, I would just ask you guys, uh, if you agree, Porzingis being the cheat code of this team, and so what it felt like to you in real time to get a little taste of what we know is kind of the constant thing hanging over this team and with Porzingis, which is he's a unicorn, he's incredible, but at any moment, that can turn. Yeah, I agree in when I was watching it and I saw him go down. Given his reaction, I think this is probably the reaction that a lot of people have. It's like, oh, this is absolutely terrible. Like, he's gone for the season. And he was like, oh, yeah, I could have come back if I, if I want to. I, I don't know how much if that that was just, you know, him standing standing tall. I mean, listen, anybody who's played basketball, when you land on somebody's foot, that's never a good feeling. Um, but that is the question. I mean, the the dimension that he has i think we've been really talking about it this whole season the mention he adds he uh, his he can go out he can shoot from the three from the mid-range gets he gets to the rim that's there's he has a skill set that very few people have at his height his size but he does have that injury history and i i guess the the question is do you do you trust his health in a seven game series in May, in June, et cetera. That's, I think that's the only, like, that's the only weakness that I see. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's true for any team, anybody is you have to get lucky with your, with health, with injuries. But I think if he stays healthy, this is, this is the team to beat in the East right now. It absolutely is. I, I can't trust it. Like I just can't. So I think I'm constantly looking at, different ways that the Celtics will be able to overcome if something happens. And maybe this is just me, you know, being paranoid or preparing for worst case scenario, um, which I don't think it was last night. I, I think like it's possible that he could be available back at home for the Clippers game. He's talking about how it's going to feel when it swells up on the plane. Like it, it's almost like he's been through some version of this so many times before that he's like, yes, I have a swankle. Um, this is how I take care of my swankle going forward based on situations in the past. I I also think that like quietly, we may be, we talk about Porzingis so much that it, last night is a good reminder of how efficient on both sides of the floor Drew Holiday is. And I think, um, you know, we touch on him from time to time, but he he had a great night last night. I think he started out, he had like seven for eight or something like that. And that, that that's just incredible. Definitely contributes to the efficiency of the offense overall. With Porzingis, it's just, it's kind of interesting to me that, you know, you, you made this, it wasn't a one-for-one one trade because you went and got, you traded Marcus Smart in order to get him. Right. But I think about how you give up Rob Williams for Drew Holiday. And to me, Rob Williams, especially in that um 2020 uh 2022 year when they go to the finals, such a similar situation where you know you played him kind of hard through the end of that season, and at points he was up for conversation of defensive player of the year, and then unfortunately had you know his various knee injuries, and some of it is just like it people talk about at the trade deadline, do you need to shore up the big position? We've talked about, I, I think that you have some nice 
reserves that you could depend on a little bit. I don't think that there's anything you can really do with Porzingis unless you decide to put him on ice for the entire season, which is just insane and ridiculous and and just unrealistic. Yeah, just uh, just put him like in a cryogenic sleep chamber until uh, until April, which uh, I wouldn't put past, you know, like a, like Brad Stevens or whoever just to keep him safe. But yeah, I mean, but that's the risk. You know, it, it, it's just you're trying to manage risk in any sport um, and you, you can't you can't control it. You just have to go out there and really just hope that, that he, he won't run into a situation where he's going to land on somebody's ankle or fall weird. But that's uh, that's basketball. That happens. Uh, the, the other aspect of this, uh, I wanted to ask you all, you know, former Celtic Terry Rozier now on the heat. Does, do you think that makes the heat better uh, or, or how do you see that playing out going forward? So I certainly think it makes the heat better. Um, I, I loved Terry Rozier during that 2018 run uh, that he was on those teams with the Celtics, uh, that kind of weird position, or was it 2017 or 2018, the year that Kyrie was injured and they made it to the Eastern Conference? That was Finals. 2017 into 2018. 2017, yes. Okay, all right, all right, yeah. Get my years a little confused. Um, so I, I loved Terry on those teams, and I thought he had the capability to be a starting point guard. I like him in this position. I think he'll fit into that roster well. All that to say, he has not done a damn thing since he got there. It has not been an immediate fit. Um, he's right. been like three I mean, just, for just 10. two days, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah, so I don't yeah. think, again, I don't think that's indicative of what he'll be going forward, but like three for 10, three for 11, just it's rough, rough little start for him. But I think he improves Miami for sure. Does he put them into a position where? they're going to be in the Eastern conference finals because now they have Terry Rozier. Like, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a swing. I think if the heat make it to the finals, it'll be because of the other times that they've made it to the finals, which is yeah. they get in, they get this momentum, they get into the playoffs. Uh, they play with a head full of steam. Jimmy Butler wills them into two wins that they shouldn't have in every series that they get through. And then, you know, hopefully the Celtics, if they get there, the Celtics will be there to be a team that's just overwhelmingly talented and has a healthy Porzingis. Yeah. Uh, I, I I think, you know, I, I guess my biggest question, I didn't, first, I didn't realize that Terry Rozier was averaging like 22.3 a game in Charlotte this season. Uh, yeah, he, he had high. a really nice season leading yeah. up to this little new stint in Miami, which, again, only two games. Like, it's not. Yeah, right. I, I guess I am interested. I know Kyle Lowry is, I think, 37. But his IQ on the court, his uh, his his defensive capabilities, his sort of floor generalness, uh, for lack of a better term, that's, I guess, I'm interested to see how they replace that, because I think that was maybe Lowry's biggest contribution beyond just what you see on on the night in not night out box score um because he he made that team better uh and I, i'm i'm interested to see how how they they can replace him going forward i don't know what, what, what did you think of uh, of the trade 
I'm with Mego. I don't know how much it really moves the needle. It certainly makes him better because he's bringing in the 20s, whatever he's averaging a career high. He's aver- also averaging a career high in assists. So he brings in a better playmaking. And at this point, Kyle Lowry's done. I mean, he really had nothing left in the tank, really fell out of the starting lineup. But I'm just not sure how much it moves the needle. Like like you said, like if they're going to get to the finals, it's because of Jimmy Butler and it's because of guys like Caleb Martin that give them that boost that bring them there. But he does make them better, especially considering they were 26th in scoring. Like that's certainly going to help bringing in his scoring abilities. But I'm just not sure how much it moves the needle and i'm not sure if it really if you can guarantee an eastern conference finals rematch especially when you look at teams like milwaukee and philly in the east even indiana and new york i just don't see if miami's better than them uh before we move on to milwaukee because obviously when we're talking about news of the week they made some of the craziest news maybe of the season so far yeah. uh, we'll get to that in take flight but but before we go there are you guys on the luke cornet hype train <laughs> because I understand yes. that Cornette is very much the beneficiary of a hot offense, particularly last night. And that we've seen this from Cornette before, maybe not to the extent of the efficiency that he's had at this point in this season. But last year he had some, you know, interesting games and contributions. And then you get to the postseason, and it's like there's really no place for Luke Cornette in the playoffs here. I, are you looking at Cornette? Um, and we've talked about Nemus before on this podcast. Are you looking at those guys as enough depth at the big position that they could actually have a role later on down the line, be it at the end of the regular season when, you know, you're getting into the sports science of balancing guys minutes to getting ready for the playoffs and also getting a little bit of rest. And then also, especially in the early rounds of the playoffs. Well, he's almost certainly going to have some big playoff minutes, right? Just look, looking at their, their roster as it is, right? Cause coming off the bench, the guys you would trust at the, the five ish uh, are Horford and Cornette, right? I, I, I can't see any way that this team doesn't play him. Uh, in the playoffs. I mean, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I think, yeah, he he has to play uh, in the postseason. I, I guess the rebuttal would be, <laughs> I can think of plenty of people who would say, isn't that the reason that you need to go out and make a move at the trade deadline? Which, of course, like your trade deadline is so restricted because you're in the second apron and you have to would have to probably send a role player out, a serious role player, in order to get someone back. The question is, has Cornette shown that he he is at the level where he can play those minutes and have the right impact on a championship caliber team? Um, or do you need to go out and and trade somebody else in order to fulfill that big situation? I mean, I think I think the question you could even just ask directly, would you give away Cornette for somebody else? Uh, and I, I think the answer is probably no, just given the how he's played so far his chemistry within a team i, I don't know what, what are you what are your thoughts i think he's proven perfectly capable of being a third center i mean if you look at this bench really in all all throughout the season they haven't lost you a game in fact they've even won you a couple games so this bench has just proven they are capable of keeping you in games and winning games and by the time you get to the playoffs anyway like the rotation is going to be so shortened that even if Cornette needs to play 
he's proven he's capable of it. So in my opinion, I think he's more than enough. And this bench has proven they are more than capable of being competitive and winning you games. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess like the one thing he can't really do is, uh, is shoot the way Horford can from outside. Right. But he, he is, he's just younger than Horford and he has a little bit more size. So if, if you know, you, Again, you 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 need that sort of size. I think there's going to be some some games where it's just like, hey, just four or five cornet minutes. Those may be really impactful, even if it's not even if he's not playing twenty plus minutes in in a game six, game seven. I think if you can win cornet minutes, which he's proven he he can do, I think those can swing series. You know, especially if those cornet minutes give Al Horford at times Porzingis a break, or if you can employ them in some kind of other double big lineup, which we know um, Joe Missoula has been tweaking with a little bit. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But let's move on to take flight because as fun as it is to discuss Celtics blowouts, Milwaukee is doing crazy, crazy stuff. I almost swore because what is going on in Milwaukee? Like they are (laughs) lucky. They are so lucky that they are such a small market. And I understand like they have this giant star in Giannis. Now Dame Lillard is there, another giant star, but let's just break it down in less than a year. The bucks have gone from Mike Budenholzer to Adrian Griffin to now doc rivers Reportedly, they're going to pay Doc Rivers $40 million in his contract while still paying some form of contracts with these two other coaches. The stuff that has been going on behind the scenes and in front of cameras there, obviously, when Adrian Griffin gets fired, he has a 30-13 record. Terry Stotts like, walks out of the building because, uh, according to The Athletic, uh, Adrian Griffin's yelling at him in front of the entire team. Two weeks ago, you have Giannis sitting up in front of the press saying that they need to be coached better after a loss to the Rockets. Like, on the one hand, when you look at everything that's been the, the, the dysfunction with a team with championship aspirations, you're like, oh, this isn't that surprising. But when you look at three coaches in a year, you go, how can you call this functional? You know, how can yeah. you say that, that that this is a team that has their shit together? Yeah. Yeah. This is um, it reminded me of you remember in Monsters, Inc. Uh, when uh, when when Boo first shows up in the restaurants and all the monsters are freaking out and there's like 
the they have like a doctor or whatever on TV, and he's like, "It is in my professional opinion that now is the time to panic." That is, like, I I don't see this as anything but a panic move from from Milwaukee. You know what I mean? Like, they again, they they had the second seed. They have the second seed in the East, and they're only trailing, I think, right now by three and a half games against Boston. You have Giannis and Dame Lillard, uh, and you know I. I'm sure we're going to see more reporting in the coming days, weeks of strife within the organization under Adrian Griffin. But this is, I mean, I, I was trying to think of times when this has worked and I can only think of two where you switch, you switch the coach during the season. And that team has won a championship, Pat Riley with the Lakers in that first season. And then Ty Lue with the Cavs in 2016, which came around the same time in January. Um, but that's it. I mean, it, it, do y'all feel this was like, oh, we this was strategic or this was like we hit the red button. Something isn't working. Well, Ty Lue with the Cavs is a really interesting comparison because, again, huge star power going up against the coach. That's for there's two things. One, we, there's the report that, you know, that Adrian Griffin came in with this new defensive scheme that he wanted to put in and the team got like five games into the season and the veterans held an intervention being like, this does not work. <laughs> and it's like, if you're losing, if you're losing faith in your coach and you're not willing to experiment with something new five games into the season, it, you might as well just hang it up there. Like it, and to have Giannis then be seemingly so opposed to the head coach like on the one hand, I think it's the right move because they, if they're going to go anywhere, it, it wasn't going to happen with that dynamic. I just don't think you could overcome that dynamic. But at the same time, it's like, it makes you, I, I thought it was a mistake to let Budenholzer go in the first place. I'm just a really big fan of his. Yeah. And then unfortunately, it seems like they picked somebody who was the wrong, clearly the wrong fit for the team. And now that they're trying to correct that by bringing in Doc Rivers, who I, I love Doc Rivers. Um, I know that he's kind of polarizing at this point in Boston and that his he's got his uh, records of, you know, being cratered from his, you know, three to one leads in seven game series time and time again. Mm -hmm. it, it is so desperate. It is so. It, it yell it screams to me like second round exit it really does yeah i mean Tarp, do you do you think i mean as bad as it seems this is a team that still has Giannis. like i said Giannis, dame lillard chris middleton there they should be good i mean do, do you think that this makes them better well the funny thing is is they are good like they're they're in second place in the east like you're 30 and 13 like it's a lose-lose for Doc Rivers, I think, because, like, what exactly would constitute as him doing his job? Like, it doesn't look like they're going to pass the Celtics. They're 30 and 13, second in the East. Like, if winning the finals is your only, like, way of doing your job, it just doesn't make sense to bring him in then because the guy has already had, like Megan alluded to, the postseason struggles. It just feels like a lose-lose for him, and I'm not sure how much better it really makes them. Like, taking over this team that clearly has some dysfunction if you're turning against your coach after five games and you, you know, you're already kind of dancing on his grave the next day after during player introductions. Like there's clearly some dysfunction there. And then taking that over in the middle of a season, it's just no easy task for Doc Rivers. So I'm not sure how much better this makes them. 
Yeah, I've, I've always, you know, I've, I've come, to, not always, I've come to realize I think the hardest thing in professional coaching is getting these athletes who are the best in the world to buy into what you're saying. To be like, hey, Giannis, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. And I'm sure, you, you know, Doc Rivers, listen, as, as, as you mentioned, Megan, as polarizing as he, as he may be, he's one of only 36 people who have coached a championship NBA team, you know? There's a reason that that happened. He definitely knows what he's doing. He definitely knows what he's talking about. I think the hardest thing is, can you now go through all of the ups and downs that you go through when you bring in a new coach in just a few months? He, he only has really like, what, two months until playoffs start, give or take? ridiculous yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, and, look, and, again you and you have guys with the experience in Giannis and Middleton and Dame not to step on you Esteban like you, you should have some built-in infrastructure it's just you're walking into a super dysfunctional situation and you're supposed to be the savior to this team because seemingly they're all super opposed to the head coach that was there yeah yeah and so I, I just wonder like will you get be able to to iron out all of the wrinkles in a relationship player, a, a coach player relationship that you need to be a, a champion. Again, as far as I know, I can think of two examples and those were with two of the best players of all time. Not, and Giannis is, uh, you know, around that conversation, but can it be replicated again? Because that's basically what you're banking on is that this team can do what the Showtime Lakers did and the 2016 Cavs did with LeBron James. That's that's a tall that's a tall thing to ask. Absolutely. All right, let's move on. Unless you, Justin, you have anything else you want to add in there? Um, our next take, or Justin, you want to weigh in on Doc? Yeah, one more thing, real quick. This dawned on me yesterday when I was looking at the All Star thing. Uh, because Joe Missoula and his staff coached the All Star game last year, as long as the Bucks are in second place in 12 games from now at the all-star break, then doc rivers is going to coach the all-star game, which is just bananas. Like, does, does doc even want to do that? I mean, <laughs> I'm totally serious. I feel, I feel like, like there should be a game minimum. Like this should be Nick nurse, right? He, he should be coaching. It should. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's it goes just, to the it's second place team. So it's so funny to me because doc is like, you know, he was, he was out of coaching for how long? I don't know. Was it even like, Seven yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. End end of the the Sixers run to now. But yeah, it's is just, it is it just the last thing? It, are you more who? What are you? Are you surprised that he got a job before Bill Belichick as of this recording? <laughs> uh, no, no. I think I, Doc for he's he's so well liked in the league, yeah. and he has a reputation of being able to connect with stars. You know, so it's it doesn't surprise me the whole the Bill Belichick conversation is dominating the rest of my life. So I like, <laughs> I almost like don't even want to get into it. We'll move on. We, we have a great football podcast, six rings. If you want to talk Bill Belichick, I spend most of the waking hours of my life right now thinking and talking about Bill Belichick, which is something that I thought we were supposed to get over once he left the Patriots. Um, our next point, our next take, I should say, getting back to take flight, uh, Esteban, you threw this out there. I, I like it. I'm not yeah. sure it's like such a huge debate. There's maybe one other name in here who would take the crown here, but Kristaps Porzingis, is he the best foreign player the Celtics have ever had? 
Uh, of course, he had a fantastic night last night, 19 points in 21 minutes uh, before he turned that ankle. You put in these other contenders, Al Horford, Kelly Olenek, Daniel Tice, Dennis Schroeder, who I'm just completely like, I don't think yeah. those last two names are serious. I feel like it probably has to come down to, uh, to, to Kristaps and Al Horford there. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about it because uh, you know, watching them play against the Mavericks uh on was it Monday night? Um and you know, that that's a team, that's a franchise whose whose best player is is not American in Dirk Nowitzki and probably the guy who the only guy who may be able to take that spot we're watching now with Luka uh from Slovenia. So a team that has invested heavily in foreign players. And then I was thinking about the history of the Celtics. When you think of all the big Celtics names, most are American. Uh, you know, going back, thinking even through throughout the history of the franchise, Bob Cousy, Russell, Havlicek, Bird, McHale, et cetera, even going now into the, the 2000s teams of Garnett, Pierce, Rondo, Ray Allen. Uh, obviously, now it's to the, to the modern times, Smart, Irving, Tatum, Brown. Very few foreign folks that I can think of that the Celtics are brought on. So it, it's a short list, but I think, yeah, it, it has to be Kristaps. And I know we've only he's only been here for this season, but it is interesting. I mean, what what is there any reason that y'all think that the, that that's that's happened with the Celtics, or it's that's that's just sort of how they've? Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a strategy, but it's just throughout their their history for a number of reasons i think it's it's been mostly americans do you think there's any reason for that it's so weird i i've actually never thought of it before that way and i guess um it, i was thinking about when christophs porzingis first got introduced with the celtics i was like oh yeah that's like you know it's a different kind of interview because of the english as a second language yeah. and the only other time i could really think of that being um you know, a big thing was with Daniel Tice because he has the thick, you know, accent having English as a second language. Yeah. And it, but it's true. It's like it, it's, it's interesting when you look at where the league is right now with international players having such a huge stage in the NBA and whether it's Giannis and B, Luca, um, you know, Jokic, obviously it, it's, it's great for the league because these are incredible players, but for whatever reason, like, I don't, I can't really think of a through line that comes to mind as to why it's been less. So in, in Boston, even yeah. from a draft perspective, it's, I would have to say so far, it seems to be Porzingis, but Al definitely puts himself at like a nice number two. Yeah. I mean, just, can you think of anybody else who is in that conversation? No, I couldn't. And it's actually funny you thought about that. I, was, I started thinking, I was like, I can't think of any. Maybe, maybe Luigi Tome, but he wouldn't crack that list. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's interesting. But, like, you see the national players growing in the league as a whole now. You're starting to see them really kind of yeah. take over, like Megan just said, with Embiid, Giannis, uh, Luka, Jokic. So, it is a good thing. But, I mean, it's so strange that there's really such a short list with the Celtics. Yeah, and I, I don't know if there's uh, a way to track this, but in terms of I, this, this is one of their most international rosters that I can remember. I mean, Porzingis, Horford, obviously, but uh, coming off the bench, Jose Brissett, uh, Delano Banson, we talked about uh, the Muse Kedas a lot. Um, 
even uh, guys like Svi Mikhailuk, uh from who is is Ukrainian. Yeah, a lot of a lot of international uh, representation on uh, on this Celtics roster. I, I wanted to ask y'all because uh, this this did get me thinking. I did look it up. What country besides the United States has produced the most NBA players? Do we all know? Is this you have the answer in front I of you? I have the answer. I do have the oh, answer. Oh man, let me think. Like for some, this is not the answer. I just feel like over the last five years, Australia and Canada have been having a moment. Um, Canada, but I'm Canada. I know Canada's a big one. We went through yeah. a little bit of a French Revolution. Yeah. Um, you're putting me on the spot. No, no, it's okay. You you did say Canada is number one. Uh, Canada is number one. Yes. Uh, For, is that in the league right now or the league all time? Ever, ever. Ever. Uh, so this is according. That surprises me. Yeah, world population review. And I, I sort of. Because uh, I would think Spain would Spain would be kind of dominant too. According, according to the site, let's see. Um, do they list Spain? They don't even list Spain. But uh, Oh, wow. I guess so, it's just me. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of, I mean, you know, you know guys like the Gasols, uh, Ricky Rubio, uh, technically Serge Ibaka, who has a citizenship, I think, in Spain. Um, so Canada is number one. Uh, you know, cross-reference this a little bit with, with basketball reference. Uh, France, as you mentioned, has 40. What's really interesting, um, though, if you consider countries that used to exist, uh, so oh, Yugoslavia... No. <laughs> <laughs> uh which broke up if, if it was one country uh 83 players uh what? so obviously that includes like serbia slovenia uh bosnia herzegovina um so that's a lot of folks uh 83 and uh, one that is even uh that would also be a crazy hypothetical to think about the former soviet union which would include latvia um, yes 54 players 54 players would uh NBA players would have been uh, of the of the former Soviet Union. So yeah, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. What if uh, that that talk about a super team? Well, I'm glad that I got Canada. I still yeah. feel like I don't know. I guess Spain just has strong representation from like the Y2K basketball. Yeah, they always do. Um, but a lot of Canadians in the league, and then you even think about like you know. Guy like Steve Nash, uh, you got SGA. Uh, I'm trying to think who else uh, in the league right now. That's, that's Canadian Wiggins. Uh, yeah, you, 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 they, they're out there, you know. Uh, and it makes sense, right? You know, they they have had two NBA franchises uh, in the past. They're, they're right right there next to right across the border. It makes sense. Um, our final take flight. Unless you had anything you wanted to chime in about world basketball turf no no interesting no, conversation, ussr though. ussr yeah. soviet takes i'm still studying <laughs> my maps yeah <laughs> i will say i went to public school and in seventh grade like world studies or whatever it was our school was so uh, in a bad place that our textbooks still had like the soviet union map ah. Yes. Our world the but wonders I, of American public not, education. I am not that old. Like it was yeah. at the time I was like, it was like, yeah, we could never remember the USSR's existence, but this is in our textbook. So yeah, your textbook was still telling you about the, 
the red scare, the the, the, <laughs> the dangers of international communism. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, all right. Our final take here. Um, Embiid, obviously, with the 70 points this week. Cat with the, what was it, 62? Do I have 62 that right? 62 and a loss. 62 and a loss. And so, Esteban, you had one other great feat this week. That, and I say feat with a double entendre pun there that you wanted to include in this trifecta of incredible moments of NBA this week. Uh, yeah, Jalen Brown snatching the soul out of Luka Doncic on the crossover and then having it replayed in the arena. My little sister yeah. was at that game. Oh, nice. She, yeah, and she was like, yeah, that definitely happens where they replayed it in the American Airlines Center in Dallas. And yeah, Tim Hardaway going and like yelling at the video board operators. Incredible stuff. Yeah, what a what so wait, what why are they do they hate Luca? Like what's going on? Are they are they trolling him? I, I, I just stadium? I just think they weren't thinking. They were just like, okay. oh wow, that's a cool play. And they're like, they oh, wait play. a second, that's the wrong, <laughs> wrong jersey. Um, yeah, what an incredible NBA week. What I this is the, the, you remember that old campaign they used to have where NBA where amazing happens? This is this yeah. is that where it's just like <laughs> you'll get a random week in January where just you'll have these like at least two, three incredible performances happening all at the same time. What what was sort of y'all's favorite uh favorite moment uh from, from this week? No question for me, it's 70 from Embiid. Like yeah. it's just so cool. It's only the third time it's happened. Um, I, I feel like it is a little like it, it was it, the, the coolest part to me was watching Kevin Durant's reaction to it. 70? Did you guys see the post game press conference yeah. when somebody, a reporter asked him about, Hey, did you, did you hear about Embiid 70? And he's like, what? 70? And it's, yeah. it's also amazing because Embiid's had huge games before, obviously, you know, MVP, but he, his last uh, highest scoring game was 59, which is really big, but like 70 is a huge jump from that. And I'm sorry it had to come at your expense, Esteban. Oh, it's okay. It was, it <laughs> but was, it's just, yeah. it's, it's, I, I love Carl Anthony Towns, but doing that in a loss does have a streak of yuckiness. And yeah. so, you know, it's a better feat from Embiid. It came in a win. Um, he's having an amazing season so far. Hopefully he stays healthy and yeah. also whatever it takes to do that. Like, don't go for the MVP again. Just <laughs> look for the postseason or maybe do if you're a Celtics fan. That's what you want. But it, it was really cool. Yeah. Kat, the funny thing about cats, I was a. Uh... I was at the gym the next morning and, and there was two guys talking about it and they're like, cat scored 62 and, and, and beat. And I, they didn't realize that the wolves lost. And so I, I was like, I leaned over. I was like, they, yeah, they, they lost it. So, so the Hornets, you, they you lost. just butted in. Yeah. I was like, yeah, just, just to let y'all know. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Terp, what, what, what do you think? What was your favorites of uh, of this week's performances? I thought the Embiid was the most fun, but I just thought it was super interesting that cat only played three minutes and 40 seconds in the fourth quarter of a close game in which he dropped 62 points. Like he just didn't play in the mm. fourth quarter. It just made no sense to me. 
But I thought the Embiid was really interesting, especially because listening to uh, Greg Popovich pregame, and he's like, uh, it was they were hyping up the matchup with him and Wemby, and he's like, we're gonna have an answer for him, and then he dropped seventy. So I thought that was funny <laughs> yeah. too. So yeah, uh, but it was a good week of the NBA. It was like, go right ahead. Yeah, there was no yeah. answer exactly. Yeah, there was, there was no answer when when somebody's. And it's like it puts everything like when you sit and think of just like the perspective of that a hundred point game that Wilt Chamberlain had that sort of mystical game like you drop 70 now go get 30 more you know yeah that's that's crazy that's crazy i also loved how um yeah the wolves coach was like subtweeting and beat a cat after the game like you you just scored a, a career high and then you lose and then your coach is is you kind of throwing you under the bus to to the reporters that's uh definitely I, you know, that, that's a weird look that's a weird look yeah, that'd be another situation I'd keep my eye on because uh, the Timberwolves are, I I think, like maybe the second best team in the league behind the Celtics. You you'd, you could argue two, three or four there. Yeah. Uh, but they're certainly in contention and certainly a weird look. Yeah. You know, very strange overall. Um, yeah. All right. Well, guys. Unless there's anything else that you want to jump on here. I know I know we got Jason Tatum. He's an all-star again. He's like yeah. tweeting up, posting up a storm about what an honor it is. I don't think that was a shocker to anybody. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, no, I, I, the last question I have, is it true that Missoula calls uh, Jalen Brown and Porzingis cookies and cream? Is, is that is that a real thing? I can't imagine it is. It's so Apparently weird. Apparently he made I up never... the nickname. Yeah. Oh, cookies Doesn't and mean cream. He calls them necessarily. I mean, imagine he's like drawing up a play, and we'll be like, well, "This one's cookies and cream." It's like a high pick and roll. <laughs> it's I, just, I, you yeah. know, it's, it's it's kind of a strange one from Missoula. But if if they like it, that's all that matters. Or My if favorite. they hate it, like if you hate a nickname, then it sticks with you for life. Yeah, yeah, I favorite. <laughs> all right. Well, that was slammed. Uh, of course. Whatever you guys are listening to us on, you can you can continue to get us here. But if you're with us on YouTube or anywhere else, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on here every week discussing the Celtics and the rest of the NBA at large. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, and uh, we'll check in next week. Celtics have the Clippers at home on Saturday. We'll see how Porzingis' swankle is. <laughs>